Welcome back to the Retro Horror Academy. My name is Daniel Richardson, and today we're going to be looking at the year in horror, 1922. Over a hundred years ago. Man, that's just, that's crazy to think about, but you know, here we are, a hundred years later. Um, We have four horror films that we're going to be ranking tonight, uh, all silent films from this classic era. And uh, yeah, top three, of course, will be re- uh, awarded the various Skull Awards. So let's just jump right into it. What was the number four horror film of 1922? One Exciting Night. Uh, the basic plot here is there's this uh, young orphan girl who uh, aunt is taking care of her. And anyways, there's an old douchey rich guy who wants her. Uh, of course, she falls in love with this, you know, guy her own age. However, the old douchey guy, he's holding something over her aunt, so it's kind of forcing her into this relationship. Uh, while all this is going on, that you know, the old douchey guy has a party, or no, I'm sorry, I think it's the uh, the young guy has a party, and uh, during this party, you, uh, it's kind of a backdrop for this uh, group of bootleggers. Who are you know horseback and they're trying to basically smuggle the booze you know through and they're trying to find some kind of hidden treasure as well if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, we, we we wind up with a dead body and you know our main character, the young guy, uh, he is the one who's accused of this murder. So this is you know it's from America. This is an American film. Uh, it's directed by D. W. Griffith. Uh, yeah, known for now he he's dabbled in horror before. He did uh the sealed room, and he did the avenging or uh, an avenging conscience. Um, and it's kind of weird because the you know when the reviews I was looking at they were all kind of like shocked like, oh you know this is you know his first foray into horror and it's like well no and I mean, I wouldn't even call this horror this is definitely more drama I guess dark drama. Uh, yeah, so he was inspired by stage plays, uh, Murders at the Rue Morgue, and The Bat. And this is the first film that kind of started the old uh, dark house subgenre of horror. Uh, by the old dark house, I mean, you know, these movies were basically a uh, big cast of characters will meet up in an old spooky house, uh, and, you know, for different reasons. But usually there is a murder or there's maybe you think there's a murder because a lot of these were actually played for laughs. They, you know, had more comedy and mystery uh, as opposed to horror and, you know, thriller or whatever. Uh, But it kind of started the whole cycle of those films. And so anyways, um, that's kind of, you know, what, you know, this movie's kind of known for. For the time when it came out, the biggest complaint was, A, they said that the director, Mr. Griffith, was uh, very overindulgent with this movie. Uh, Runtime, way too long. And just, you know, he had all these characters that, you know, he was trying to give everybody some storylines and try to flesh everybody out. And in the end, it just, you know, kind of wound up being a mess, according to the critics at the time. Um, When I watched it, 
I'll just say right now, uh, I agree with the critics. This thing, and they also mentioned this, you know, is, is a bit boring. No, it's a lot boring. This thing runs over like two fucking hours. There's no reason for a movie to be fucking two hours ever, uh, especially in 2022. But what the fuck, back in 1922? Like, who the fuck's sitting in the theater watching this thing? Um, it's very dull. It's very boring. Uh, you know, it picks up a little bit at times, but it's just like, I don't know, they're right. It's just like, a lot of scenes kind of linger on. You can definitely cut a lot of shit out of this. For me, the big standout issue I have with this thing is, uh, the use of blackface. Uh, look, I'm not going to sit here and act all high and mighty. You know, fuck it. Blackface was used. It's, you know, clearly not appropriate today. Uh, probably wasn't appropriate back then. But, you know... People talk about, you know, uh, was it Lawrence Olivier? He, he, he did it in Othello. Uh, you know, and I, I think, you know, yeah, probably not right. But it was done with respect. It was tastefully done, I guess you could say. Uh, however, this is so... It's just offensively bad because, A, there is just... T- I mean, there's been rumors that D.W. Griffith, who did the film uh, Birth of a Nation... Uh, which glorified the KKK. Uh, you know, there's been rumors that this guy is, you know, a bit, a bit racist. And I gotta say, after watching this movie, I gotta agree because he wrote the script, and you know, the uh, black people in this film are portrayed as stupid, ignorant, lazy, uh, and goofy. Like that's the whole thing. Is like they, the 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 one guy he shows up, he's like a butler or a. Well, there's a butler too, but there's but this guy's like this, you know. He's like a, he's under the butler. He's just you know housekeeper guy, cleaning, uh, butler assistant, if you will. And like every time something crazy, goofy happens, you know, scary, he just his eyes bug out and he's just shaking around and he's I don't know. It's just so it's so bad and it's just like I don't know the blackface. It's it's so bad too. Like it doesn't even look. Like the guy could be black. Like he just looks like he's white guy painted black. Like it's, it's not even like there's no shading to it. Almost it's just I don't know. Uh, I mean I'll tell you right now the movie looks okay. I mean you know D.W. Griffith definitely had an eye for detail. Um, you know there's a crazy storm sequence at the end. Uh, you know it looked good, but again this the story itself was just. Uh, um, the movie has a uh, currently has a five point four on IMDb. Uh, yeah, not much I can say about this. Uh, it's why it's ranked last. It's just, uh, it just is what it is. So yeah, that was one exciting night. So at number three, and this will be the winner of the Bronze Skull Award, it goes to The Headless Horseman. The Headless Horseman, um, it's about, um, the school teacher comes to the small town of Sleepy Hollow. He comes from New York to Sleepy Hollow. And right off the bat, you know, he's very aware of the superstitions and, you know, the, the, the folklore, the legends in this town. And so, you know, he's very aware of this. And, of course, the biggest legend in this town is the legend of the uh, Headless Horseman, a uh, revolutionary, yeah, sorry, it's like 1700 or something, uh, Revolutionary War uh uh, veteran or soldier who uh, lost his head during the war, and legend has it he's looking for his lost head. Uh, so that's kind of you know the, the backdrop here. And the main story though is he shows up and um, right off the bat is trying to hook up with this girl uh, who's a heiress, uh, heiress of some sort, 
And anyways, the, her current boyfriend gets a little pissed about this. And so makes an enemy. And then the fact that, like, you know, the school kids hate him because, you know, they think he's kind of a mean teacher or whatever. So the kids turn against him. And before you know it, you know, because he kind of has a bit of a, a snooty attitude, I suppose, the entire town just kind of turns against him. And, you know, they're looking for a way to, you know, get this guy out of there. So, um, this film, you know, made her in America based on the uh, Washington Washington Irving novel of the same name, which I have never read, by the way. I want to make that clear. I have seen countless versions of the Headless Horseman uh, movies, TV shows, uh, even saw a, a stage production of it, but never actually read the actual book. So, honestly, if there's some things I get wrong here, I want to apologize. Um, this film, uh, it's known... And I'm gonna butcher this name right here. It's the first panchromatic black and white feature film. Uh, panchromatic was a different type of film they used when they filmed black and white, and you can tell a difference right off the bat. Uh, granted, now a lot of these prints we've been watching, or I've been watching, uh, the Academy has been watching. Uh, they've been damaged prints, but it, it, there is just a big, you know, there's a big contrast between the blacks and the whites in this uh, film. Uh, the color of the movie, not the people fuckers uh anyways but no there you know there is this kind of you can see this good contrast there uh, it looks really crisp really clean and uh yeah apparently this became kind of like you know the new thing you know to do to make this movie um when this movie came out uh it starred will rogers as ichabod crane and he you know he took the role because it's something he never really done before he he was known for comedy did a lot of vaudeville stuff uh, would go on to become a political satirist, uh, satirist, sorry. Uh, however, uh, you know, playing the snooty Ichabod Crane was something he's never done before, and that's what drew him to the role. Thing is, when I watched this movie, he didn't really seem that snooty. Like, he actually seemed like a decent guy. Like, I don't dare try and portray him as a dick, because honestly, I felt like the entire town was pricks. Like, every one of them. Like, everybody's just a cocksucker in this town. Uh, he actually seemed like the only decent guy that I'd want to have a beer with in this entire town. Be that as it may, uh, so when this thing came out, the critics pretty much said the same thing they said about One Exciting Night. Uh, this was just a very boring movie. Uh, even up now, the retrospective uh, reviews all say the same thing. It's just dull and lifeless. However, I'm going to disagree with that. I rather enjoyed The Headless Horseman. Uh, maybe I just knew it wasn't going to be like the Tim Burton 1999 version, Uh you know, it, it does play more of a drama, like a drama. Uh, you know, you don't get a whole lot of headless horseman action. You get a little snippet in the beginning, and then towards the end, you know, you, you see something. But for the most part, you're not. You know, it's it's basically just about you know this a school teacher trying to digest. And there's a really cool sequence. And again, I'm not sure if this is in a book or not. But like the town turns against him, and they kind of set him up for witchcraft, which I thought you know is kind of interesting because we got another movie coming up here in the you know. Uh, countdown that deals with witchcraft as well, but it was just like the whole town, and they're on tar and feather him, and like w finally, you know, a kid kind of comes to his senses and kind of bells him out, and is like, I lied about you know whatever. And of course, the kid gets beat right there on camera. It's fucking awesome, but uh, no, like dude, they were going tar and feather this guy, and then the, the the boyfriend, the one that doesn't like him, his rival. He's like, well, I'm sorry. I didn't think it was going to go this far. I'm like, dude, you were going to tar and feather this guy. Like, until that kid confessed, you were going to fuck him up. The only thing I didn't really care about this movie was just the ending. And it's, it's, it's you know, nothing to do with, you know, it's, it's, it's plot. It's all plot. Uh, it's all story related. 
But it's like, you know, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. I'm sorry, it's 100 years old. You know, it's all prank. There is no Headless Horseman. And I believe that is the way it is in the book as well. I know the stage play I saw, that's how they ended it, you know. Although every movie I've seen since then, it's always been like, nope, he's real and, you know, he's coming after you. Uh, but no, in this one, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a prank. It's, you know, a prank, uh, put on by, you know, the, the boyfriend, but like in the end, Ichabod Crane gets like chased out of town, terrified. And then the prick boyfriend gets the girl at the end. And I'm like, what the fuck? And again, maybe in the book, Ichabod's a bit of a dickhole, but in this movie, he seems like a decent guy. I don't know. Uh, but overall, I, I, you know, I like this more than most people did. Uh, it currently has a, uh, five, uh, percent or a 5.0 rating on IMDb. Uh, so a solid five. Uh, I, I'd give it a little bit higher now. I thought it was decent. Uh, like I said, um, I get if you're looking for straight horror or the headless horseman doing crazy stuff, but you don't get any of that. What you do get is a fairly decent drama. Uh, you know, again, yeah, this is a romantic subplot, which I'm not normally into, but it worked in this one. And then, of course, you know, you get the nice, clean-looking photography. However, you know, that's not your thing, then, yeah, I can see why people didn't really like this. But I thought people... And it's weird, because, like, you know, this is actually the third iteration of The Headless Horseman, but unfortunately, this is the very first... Or this is the oldest one that survived. The previous two movies, uh, unfortunately, has been lost to, you know, the ravages of time. Which, that could have a lot to do with it for people back then, too. Because if you've seen two of them that were decent, and then this one comes off more dull, you know. But it is what it is. So, at number three, the bronze uh, skull winner is the Headless Horseman. He can use that bronze skull to uh, put on top of his head. Or where his head used to be. Alright, so, number two film of 1922. And the winner of the Silver Skull Award. Dramatic pause. I'm actually just taking a drink. Um, the film I'm going with is Haxon. Haxon. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Haxon. Haxon. I'm going to go Haxon. Uh, this is a Danish film. Well, it was the director is uh, from Denmark. The uh, financing came from Sweden. We'll get in that here in a little bit. Uh, the basic plot here, this is just like a documentary, but it's like a stylized documentary. Uh, but it basically just chronicles uh, witchcraft. Uh, from the beginning, you know, of its inception and its pagan roots all the way up until the modern day, you know, which is 1922 at this point. But uh, all the way through that, and this kind of shows you the ups and downs and kind of takes a serious approach with it. So this is a film I've always heard about and I just never got around to watching it. And I was honestly surprised by this film because I didn't know it was going to be a documentary style. Uh, I've seen clips, you know, I never actually seen anything, but I thought it was like a, a straight narrative. I thought it was a straight film. Uh, I will admit, this thing starts off very rough. So this film also is like, you know, kind of a long movie. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a silent film. And I never had issues reading like the inner titles of silent films. Uh, same as like subtitles with foreign films. Like, you know, it's, it's not a big deal to me. Uh, you know, the typical thing, you know, when I try to show a friend or a relative like a really cool foreign film, you know, and they realize the subtitles are just like, well, if I want to read, I'll, I'll buy a book. You know, I get that same bullshit line all the time. Uh, however, when I started watching Hacks in the very beginning, uh, it felt like, I, I truly felt that because the first, I don't know, three to five minutes, maybe even longer, all it's shown is the text and then pictures. Text and picture. And it felt like you were reading a book. And I was like, oh, fuck, this whole movie's going to be like this. What the fuck? But 
luckily it doesn't last long. And once it gets into the actual uh, dramatization, uh, uh, you know, uh, it gets a, much better. And it does kind of play off like a film, even though it's done, like I said, in documentary style. Uh, so uh, the director of this was uh, Benjamin C- uh, Christensen. Uh, he was he did Blind Justice. We covered that here at the Academy uh, back when it came out, I believe. 1912, maybe. Uh, either way, though, uh, you know, this was his, you know, his 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 big movie here, and so he did that film, but he did not want to do this film in Denmark. He was afraid the censors or the studios just would not let him do the movie he wanted to do, and so he had to find outside financing, and so eventually brought him to Sweden, and that's you know. So like I say, we look at IMDb, it says it's a Danish and a, and a Swedish film, but I believe it was filmed in Denmark. I think it's just the only thing Swedish about it was uh, the money came from Sweden. So, uh, anyways, and uh, it should be noted this is actually uh, was the most expensive uh, Scandinavian film at the time, so uh, has that you know distinct record as well. So. This movie, uh, you know, they, they do the documentary, they release it, and it's funny because it's the same thing that I've been noticing over and over with horror films. And I just, you know, I'm talking even from, from my time, from you know, even just before my time, all the way back to 19 fucking 22, where these movies come out to just kind of a mixed review, uh, kind of a tepid, you know, reception. And then it's not until years later they're considered, you know, fucking masterpieces. Uh, this thing had a hard time finding an audience, I believe, because uh, internationally it was banned in, in a handful of countries, including uh, the UK and the United States. Uh, and the funny thing is, it's not because of this depiction of torture or murder or, you know, even the, uh, you know, brief glimpse of nudity in this film. No, it's because of its anti Christian themes. Um,. The movie itself deals more with, uh, and, I, and again, I didn't think that I, I thought this was going to be a straight, you know, horror film or you know, straight just about the witches in general. But no, it's really realistic. It covers the fact that, like, you know, witchcraft, uh, you know, whether if it was real or not or whatever, I think that's debatable. Or what, you know, not me, I debatable, but you know, whatever. But the fact that these people they used witchcraft. Uh, to basically take down their enemies, whether it's political or what have you, uh, how people would be falsely accused, and once you was accused of witchcraft, you were fucked. That's just all there was to it. Uh, it shows, you know, there's a scene where uh, this, you know, man's sick and a doctor just diagnoses him. This guy, you know, he suffered from witchcraft. You know, someone has a hex on him, and so the women of the household end up accusing this one girl, uh, this old beggar who shows up, and she's just trying to get some food. So they accuse her. What they don't realize, or they're off the bat, they take her and they torture the shit out of her. It's and she's an old woman, and it's just it's so brutal. And then what they don't expect is she confesses because again, it's like you have to confess. I mean, they're gonna kill you either way. Either you you, you keep going till they torture you, you confess, and they'll kill you because you're a witch, or they just torture you to death and then realize, oh yeah, well, it must not have been a witch. Thank God for that, and they go about their business. So this old woman decides, like, fuck it, yeah. Everything you heard's true. I'm a witch, but those women in the house are also witches, and so the you know Inquisition or whatever go down there, the church, and they just start taking them out. And when the other women stand up to try to you know protect them, then it's like, well, wait a minute, why are you protecting these witches? You know, everybody would want to see a witch burn. And if you guys don't want to see witches die, you must also be witches, and they get captured as well. 
uh, it's brutal because it, it just leaves behind uh, the sick guy and a baby. A baby that they use to basically trick this woman into confessing. Uh, they tell her to let her go. And, you know, they're like, we'll let you go. But you just got to, you know, show us how you did this one magic trick. And they use the baby. They're like, you know, if you don't go, your baby's going to die or whatever. And so she confesses. And, of course, as soon as he confesses, she's taken in, you know. And they were all burned at the stake. There's another really messed up uh, segment where, you know, this guy is having, you know, they're monks. They're all monks at this monastery. And this uh, one particular monk, young monk, is having impure thoughts because, God forbid. And apparently he just couldn't jerk off back then. So as he confesses his sins to another monk, he has to give himself, or he, he has to give himself, or they give it to him. They give him lashes across the back. But then. They're just like, well, clearly this can't just be you. You know, someone must be giving you these, you know, impure thoughts. You know, I feel like you have been, you know, spellbound. There must be a witch among us. And so they just pick out a random young girl who just had contact with him. And they say she's a witch. And when the young guy tries to say, like, oh, no, she's not a witch, they said, listen, she's already been, you know, accused. And if you try to defend her, it's going to make you look like you're a witch, too. And so it's just like, son of a bitch. This and so yeah and so that's the basic you know gist of it right there and like I say by the end of it they kind of tie it into uh you know these people were either you know victims of just you know lies or they were women who if they wouldn't sleep with you know the witch hunters if you will then they were considered witches or if you were old and ugly or hag like they would also just be like you're a witch must be. Uh, if you had any kind of mental illness or hysteria, you know, as they say in this one, you must be a witch. And so it does hit it from a very, like, it was definitely more, like, scientific, I guess. And it's, I don't know, in, in, in its conclusion than I thought it would be for a 1922 film. I'm not saying I thought they were all, like, barbarians back in 1922, but I'm just surprised at how well the point they made during this film. Uh, watching it, I gotta say, this is one of the most disturbing films I've ever seen. Like, seriously, it's a sucker punch watching, and I mean, I've seen other witch hunting movies, you know, Witch Hunter, uh, General comes to mind. Uh, I, I know there's a couple more I'm, I'm blanking on right now. Uh, Blood on Satan's Claw, that was another one. Like I said, there's been, there's been a handful of these, you know, witchcraft type movies. Uh, The Witch, you know, recently. Uh, you know, and I mean, I'm a big fan, like, you know, Personally, myself, and not just to you know get on my soapbox here, but you know I'm not religious at all. I, I am an atheist, and I do love films where you see religion being used incorrectly uh, for ill-gotten gain. You know, you're you're seeing you know used politically or whatever, and you're seeing you know these people profit off of it, whether if it's you know controlling the people by fear or what have you. And I, I just I love seeing the corruptness you know when it comes to religion and. This just comes, I mean, maybe it's because it is a documentary style. This just comes off so much more real for some reason. And like I said, I don't know. It's it's a hard watch. Like, it really is. Like, uh, if they were to kind of update this, I think, make make this today, keep, you know, the violence, the torture in there, but keep the same narrative. Don't try to change up the narrative at all. Keep, you know, pretty much word for word. I think this would be a fucked up movie. I think it, it, it trumped the, you know, the old one. But, no, this is honestly one of the most disturbing movies. And on a personal note, uh, this is actually my favorite of the films. Uh, you know, the Academy has selected you know a different number one. Uh, however, this is you know 
my personal choice. I, I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I really did. Uh, IMDb has it uh, ranked at a – it's rated at 7.7. Uh, and Rotten Tomatoes has it at 91%. So, goddamn. Certified fresh, baby. Uh, so yes, uh, Haxon, I highly recommend this. Uh, in fact, I mean, I, I'd say of the four, this is easily my favorite. I would highly recommend this over all of them. And I know it's going to be a controversial statement. It's a hot take when we get to our number one, but hey, that's just my personal opinion. Uh, and speaking of number one, we're going to get to it right now. The number one horror film of 1922 and the winner of the uh, Golden Skull Award. I'm going to take a quick drink. Obviously, it's Nosferatu. Vampire moves into a new town. Not only is he uh, interested in that town, he's interested in the uh, this girl, the wife of the guy who sold you know sold him the house. Um, this is a German film, and uh, this is directed by F.W. Um, I always butcher his name, Manu. Um, so this, you know, this movie—it just—it's we just celebrated its hundredth anniversary just recently. Uh, this is the very first vampire movie, and fuck off to anybody who says otherwise. I know some people want to, you know, there's another movie called The Vampire that came out, you know, uh, 2000 or 1910, I think, or maybe it's a, a book, The Vampire, but it wasn't quite like this. Um, I know there's been other type thing. I know uh, people always said like, you know, in the uh, House of the Devil, you know, you see the devil turn into a bat, and they're like, well, this is kind of the first one. No, it's not a vampire movie. He's a fucking shapeshifter in that movie. This is a legit vampire movie. The company who uh, founded this movie, they um, went ahead, and they were their plan was to make, like, their studio was basically just going to pump out these supernatural occult films. And at this point, they hear, like, they only did one movie. This is it. Uh, because, and in fact, the movie was its own undoing because they would get sued, and we'll get in that in a second. But uh, they never did get to make the next two, or, you know, more films after this. Which, <coughs> you know, personal disappointment to me. Uh, so the, for the first film, they decided to basically do an unauthorized adaptation of uh, Bam, or Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula. And anyways, you know, they decided to change the names uh, which, you know, there's been many versions. Again, they, they, you know, the, the inner tile has been changed several times. So there's been many versions that, you know, the names have been changed completely, uh, but changed multiple times too, uh, depending on which version you see. But they, they changed the names, and they changed little things here and there. Uh, and then they even tried to, you know, change the ending. Uh, this is actually the, the uh, first time. This is not canon with the book. But in this film, you know, Sunlight kills... The, you know, I keep on calling him Dracula, or I keep on calling him Nosferatu as well. Uh, Count Orlock is his name in, in this one. Uh, we'll, we'll call him Nosferatu, though. Come on, we, we all know who he is. Uh, anyways, but Sunlight, you know, direct Sunlight kills Nosferatu, and that was not part of the Dracula book. Uh, in the book, uh, Dracula, you know, he wasn't a big fan of the sun, and I believe they said it, like, it weakened vampires. But for the most part, like, they were okay to be out in it. Like, it wasn't a big deal. But here, you know, they, they kind of make a difference. And it's just neat how, like, that became, like, canon for just about 97% vampire movies from here on out. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Uh, so, anyways, uh, when the Stoker estate found out that, you know, these people made the movie, they were upset. They sued. Now, again, I don't get copyright law. I, I always assumed that if it was, like, from another country, it didn't fucking matter. Like, what are they going to do, really? Because uh, I know, like, Russia and America has always, you know, we were able to use, like, Russian... Um, music 
and not have to pay royalty or you know anything for it, and vice versa because they did it all the time. And I know like uh, didn't like Bollywood make like, like a time like in like a Bollywood Friday third or no not on Elm Street film same thing like it is you know they just ripped it off or maybe it's Filipino I don't know but either way there's like a four not on Elm Street. And they did that a lot. Like, they just ripped off movies. So, it's just one of... I think Turkey does that, too. So, I don't know. It just, it just feels weird to, like... I don't know. If you're in Germany. They're, like... In, at least, like, Bram Stoker, um, British, or whatever. So, it's like, fuck off. Like, seriously. Fuck fuck the fuck off. Uh, not gonna pay you shit. But, somehow, the courts, you know, ruled that, you know, guess what? You're gonna have to destroy every copy of Nosferatu. And so, every copy was thought to be destroyed. They... I don't know if they just did a big bonfire or what. And it wasn't until years later that someone discovered uh, a you know a print of uh, Nosferatu, so they were able to restore it and get it out there. And you know, luckily we got it today. Uh, very influential on uh, you know not just Horson, but some in general. Um, you know, the movie itself. I believe uh, Roger Ebert said like you know this is the first horror film that actually tries to scare you. You know, there's been scary horror films before. There's been, you know, films that, you know, would be classified as horror. Uh, you know, Cabinet, Dr. Caligari, you know, and, and what have you. But this is the first one where it seems like, yeah, the goal is not just to tell you a story. The goal is to actually scare you. Uh, and a lot of that, you know, credited to Max Shrek and his makeup. Um, now, there's, there's some, you know, controversy there uh, that I read. But I'll tell you I don't fully buy into it. So, you know, like I said, F.W. Uh, Manu directed this. And Max Shrek, you know, was the vampire. And the way they, you know, they, you know, portrayed his vampire, he very, you know, his face is very rat-like. Uh, you know, it's a very rat-like vampire. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the template they would use, you know, for the remake later on. And then, um, oh, Salem's Lot, they used that, you know, type of vampire in it as well. Uh, however, you know, it's been said that, you know, at the time, the, uh, you know, in Germany, the Jewish people would be portrayed, you know, stereotypically uh, in comics, cartoons, you know, different advertising uh, with these rat-like features and, you know, with the long nose and, you know, the elongated fingers and, you know, all this stuff. And so, you know, it's been said that, you know, this movie comes off very anti-Semitic because of that. Um, and then also the fact that, you know, vamp you know, vampirism is meant to be like a... Uh, it's a plague, you know, it's the death, it's sweeping the town, and people are saying, like, you know, it's just what the Germans said would happen if the Jews came into, you know, their towns, that, you know, it would spread like a plague or whatever. The only reason, I'm, you know, and once again, it's, it's hard to argue the connection, you know, it, clearly, you know, if he looks like that, fine, you know, maybe Max Schreck, you know, intended that. I just don't see F.W. Manu doing that because uh, he was he, uh, he was a known homosexual, like, he was gay, uh, back in 1922 Germany. So it's like he, of all people, would know what it'd be like to be persecuted. So I just can't imagine that he would consciously put in any kind of anti-Semitic themes into this movie. Because I, mean, I just feel like he would know what it's like to be persecuted. Why would he continue that? And I don't think, I, I just don't think he would. Uh, now, again, you know, Max Shrek, maybe, uh, and like I said, maybe the makeup was intended. But again, I, don't know, I just, I just don't, I, it don't come off as racist as one exciting night. It, it just doesn't. Uh, but that's just, you know, that's just my thoughts right there. It's just my opinion, you know. Um, personally, I'm going to be honest with you. I have never been too big on Nosferatu, at least from a movie standpoint. I, you know, I, I applaud it for its technical uh, achievements. Uh, I you know, applaud for the legacy it left behind and, you know, for the road it, it paved. Uh, truth be told, when I was younger, and I'm talking like when I was like, you know, junior high, high school even, 
like I was, uh, I always wanted to see this film. Film I knew, you know, I knew of it, never saw it myself. Um, when I started getting into silent movies, and I remember we actually had a Sam Goodies. I don't know anybody from the early 2000s remember Sam Goodies or not, but we had a Sam Goodies in our town, and basically it was just like you know, it was like Best Buy or you know, but it's all music and movies like like electronics and stuff, uh, band stuff, you know. And so, anyways, it's like a Tower Records, is basically what it was. So. I'm in there, and I'm, you know, this is, you know, I'm probably in my early 20s at this point, and so I'm just, you know, stacking. I mean, I'd go there all the time and buy DVDs, and they, you know, they were kind of pricey or whatnot, but every now and then you find some really good deals. I remember I found a two pack. It was uh, Nosferatu and uh, Phantom of the Opera, and I had really no desire to watch Phantom of the Opera, so I just kind of like, eh, but I, was like, I want to see Nosferatu because again, I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, there was a uh, episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark where they're watching. Uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be Nosferatu or not, but it's a Nosferatu-type movie. But the vampire comes out of the, the movie screen, and it's, just, it's a great episode. And, I mean, once again, I've seen clips, you know, off and on throughout my life. So I, I knew the character. You know, I knew the, you know, what he looked like. I loved the, you know, i just never seen it. So when I finally watched it to, you know, my Grinch, it was literally just Dracula. I didn't realize that. I didn't know that this was a ripoff of Dracula. Uh, I didn't do any research. I was fucking 20 years old. Google is kind of new, guys. Uh, so, anyways, uh, but no, I you know, I had no idea about you know this. So, uh, when I watched it, I was just flat out bored because at that point, I have seen so many versions of Dracula that it's just like I knew the story frontwards, backwards. I mean, I knew it by heart, I knew it beat by beat. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen so many. You know, Dracula dead and loving it. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Uh, fucking, you know, the Hammer Dracula, you know, the TV show that did it, covered it, you know, fuck. I mean, you've seen it so many times. And so, I honestly was just kind of like, uh. And I believe I saw the Universal Dracula before I watched this too, so it was just like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know the goddamn story at this point. And so, when I watched Nosferatu, honestly, I was just bored. Uh, vastly bored. Now, as years would go by, I'd go back and revisit it. Honestly, I still find it kind of a boring watch, but... You know, again, I can just appreciate what went into the film, you know, the story behind it. And I was the legacy, you know, it led. Uh, you know, it would actually go on. It would be our uh, second release in the Public Domain Dungeon series here at TPS. And, uh, you know, my partner, Simon Terrell, he made the music or the, you know, the, the I call it soundscape. It's not really a, a music. It's no melody. It's more of a soundscape, a nightmarish soundscape. But he did, you know, he made that for uh, the Nosferatu when we released it. So, I mean, like I said... Respect it, and you know, again, the academy decided to go that direction, and I get it. I get it. It's it's you know, it, it's it's the golden skull, and I'm not going to oppose it. I'm just saying, you know, personally, Haxon's the better film, in my opinion. So, uh, so that's it, guys. So for a quick recap, one exciting night, number four. At number three, winning the bronze skull, we had the headless horseman. At number two, winning the silver skull, we had Haxon. And at number one, golden skull winner. Nosferatu. So guys, that does it for this edition of the Retro Horror Academy. My name's been Daniel Richardson, and you're dismissed.